maybe a couple more clicks of volume over there, Cochise. Can I call you Cochise? Check once. Okay, that. Yeah, that's better. So typically, we, what we'll do at the beginning here is we just kind of banter, is what we say. Banter. Which, if you've listened to any of the podcasts, that's where the first like one to two minutes before the music comes from, and mostly it's just I'm messing with levels. <laughs> because he's messing with levels, it's a good excuse to relate stories, say ridiculous things, and sort of generally get warmed up. What was that? Yeah. <laughs> it's the clip for the cord. It just went flying. Uh, so I started to tell you. What did I start to tell you? Malin challenged me to a sword drill. The sword drill. That's yeah. what it was, and you stopped yourself very judiciously. Yeah, she's tr she challenged me to a sword drill. I slaughtered her. <laughs> 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 Is that... She is just a girl. <laughs> Man, we don't need to warm up at all. Off the top, bro. So, Scott, welcome to Deutero Panels. <laughs> just trying to find my place. Welcome to Deutero Cannons. I'm Byron, and with me as always is Justin. Party on, Justin. Party on, Byron. And this is episode... 42. Oh. 42, according to iTunes, which, of course, we know there are more episodes than that, which hopefully someday, maybe, I mean, will also appear. I mean, we're just flogging that dead horse at this point, though, right? We are. You know, the loyal Cannonites know that at this point, and they probably also know to find us on iTunes, sorry, Apple Podcasts, Spotify... One of my students found our church podcast this last week. Oh, what, what, what prompted that? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't think I said anything about it. I think maybe they were just Googling me or something. Okay, see, that, that just verifies what I've been saying. These folks know how to use the internet. So look for, the us on kids all the, do at least. look for us on all the normal podcasting things. And then also check out the Allensville Church of Christ podcast where you can get at least a daily or a weekly sermon and then some additional content when it comes up. And if you listen to the Allensville Church of Christ podcast and go back to the singing episode, you can hear our guest from today lead a couple of songs, including The Land of Corn and Wine. The Land of Corn and Wine. <laughs> there you go. Well, there's a good transition. So with us in, what do we, what do we call this room in again? In studio. In studio. Right. I thought we would call it something else. Deutero Central. Deutero Central. <laughs> <laughs> we have Scott Hart. Welcome to Deutero Cannon, Scott. Great to be here. Okay, so... You know, we were really bad about this in the past, and then we got better. So let's see if we can continue that streak. We need to start off by talking a little bit about who Scott Harp is. Yeah, like a, I don't know, 30,000-foot overview of Scott Harp or like elevator pitch. You know, briefly introduce us to who you are and how you got here. I like the idea of brief. <laughs> Hard to do, though. I'm a preacher. So There it is. Anyway, uh, I am... Um, I live next door to Byron. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. That's your biggest claim to fame right there. <laughs> uh, I preach for the Crittenden Drive Church of Christ here in town, and uh, I've got uh, people calling me already. <laughs> I forgot to 
Turn we'll do a call-in show next time. <laughs> I don't know if I know how to juggle. I just hold the iPhone up to the microphone, probably. I don't know. Yeah, to, something like that. Something like that. Real high production value here at Deutero Central. So how, how long have you been at Crittenden Drive? We moved uh, summer of uh, 2016. Um, this wasn't the first time I came here. Though. Okay. Um, first time I came, I was in college. Uh, I went to what was then International Bible College. It's Heritage Christian University in Florence, Alabama. Okay. And uh, is that, that that's one of the places that we support. Right. And, and uh, was it J.T. Harrison, I think? Is that who preached? Harris or Harrison? I don't remember which yeah. one. Yeah, J.T. Harrison. Yeah. Harrison, I think. Yeah, Harrison. yeah. he preached at Allensville one, one Sunday. Right, that's when I was at church camp, so I did not get yeah. to, I wasn't in yeah. in the church for that one. Okay. Well, I, uh, I graduated there from there in 89, but when I was in there, I started doing history. You know, it just fell in love with history of, the, of Churches of Christ. And mm. so one of our trips, we came up to Logan County. I'm going, Logan County, Kentucky, what's yeah. up there? You know, and so... It's, uh, you know, we went to the Red River Meeting House, and and so I never dreamed I would live within 10 or 12 miles from there. But well, well so, so where else have you, I mean, I, I'm assuming you've, you've lived and preached at a couple other congregations in the past? Oh, yeah. Well, well we lived uh, about 20 years in the metro Atlanta area, and I preached at the Fayetteville Church of Christ on the south side of town, and mm-hmm. then at the Buford Church of Christ on the north side of town. So, okay. But before that, we had been uh, a time in in North Alabama. But uh, most of what I did around school time, we were in New Zealand, where my wife is was born, and uh, doing missionary work there, and and uh, learning, um, you know, a lot about teaching the lost and yeah, trying to hmm. uh, give the good news of Jesus. So, so your wife Jenny's from New Zealand, but then where, where would you say you're from originally? I'm from North Alabama. North Alabama. Yeah. Okay. If you if a North Alabamian marries a New Zealander, you become Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do that to communicate. You see. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So then. Sorry, man. I had a, I had a follow on question. And I lost it. I sorry, lost it. I missed you. <laughs> Um, okay, so then I, I guess the other thing, and this is something I think is interesting about the Church of Christ, because Justin and I were both, quote-unquote, raised in the church, and so I'm sure he's witnessed this as well. You know, anytime you travel and you, you, uh, you know, if you stop and attend another church, or if you move and you start attending church elsewhere, inevitably you're like three degrees of separation from somebody who knows somebody from the town you came from. No doubt. And so you two have a mutual friend in Louisville, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah. Well, the Indiana side. Well, th- does Larry live? Larry lives in Louisville. He lives in Louisville. That's right. Yeah. he On the uh, Louisville side or the Kentucky side. Yeah. So there's a, a friend of his, uh, Larry, who has gone to my church, my home church where I grew up, Cherry Street Church of Christ in New Albany, Indiana. He, I'm sure he's been there 20 years. So Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. yeah Long time. He he was down here. I think for the singing, not this time, but the wh- whichever time we had, 2019, I guess, before the world sort of went crazy. Yeah, right. on us. And <laughs> somebody told him possibly intentionally the wrong time for <laughs> Sunday school, so he showed up an hour early. Oh. So poor poor Larry, but pretty funny. <laughs> I think that in the churches where I grew up, we're not just three degrees of separation away, but most of us share cousins. 
you know it's oh, not yeah. it's not it's not like actual inbreeding there's nothing that violates the levitical laws or anything like, like that where are you going with that <laughs> well no so w- w- when i was growing up my best friend at the church, what neighborhood yeah really. like what his first cousin married my third cousin so then we called each other cousins because we shared cousins by marriage okay there's a there's a ton of that in the the louisville area hmm. churches well, I've it's had, all on the up and up. I've had this happen recently, though, even uh, at the singing. You know, folks come from miles around to, to attend the singing. And I think, I think these folks, I don't remember who they were here visiting, nor can I remember their name, so shame on me. But uh, Oh, the folks from Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. Right, so they know some folks from, I, I don't want to say my home congregation, because we, <laughs> without saying too much, the last place I lived in Michigan, we moved around quite a bit when I was a kid, but the last place I lived in Michigan, it seemed like the town we were in was 30 minutes from four or five congregations and I think we probably attended most of them at one point or another but anyways these folks knew some folks that we knew from the Waterford Church of Christ in Waterford Michigan and so I don't know that's just not a it is not an uncommon experience in my my uh yeah if you don't know each other you will know somebody they know right exactly and I I think a lot of that almost kind of comes back to uh or has something to do with the the schools as well because it's inevitably you know Man, you name it: Rochester College, Harding, you know, Pepperdine, whatever. What What are all the ones you always Lipscomb. hear? Lipscomb, yeah. Fred Hardeman, yeah. You start making those relations. Oh, you went to you know Pepperdine. Do you know so and so? So anyway, yeah. So so you said Scott that you got to visit Logan County when you were in college uh, for for a class or for historical reasons, but it's not exactly common even for people who grew up in a particular kind of church to necessarily be interested in history at all, let alone the history of their own uh, denomination or, or group of churches. Mm. So I don't know. Do you have any idea about where that interest came from in the first place? For myself? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I was in a class on the history of the churches of Christ in Lauderdale County, Alabama, which is top, you know, uh, north. Uh, west corner of the state so they were talking about the first people who moved to Florence Alabama to share New Testament Christianity Mm -hmm. and so we come to class one day and he said guys let's get in our cars I want to take you somewhere and we went about three or four miles away from the school uh, got out of our cars and went into the backyard of this little house and there was this little cemetery there and it's called the Chisholm Cemetery and uh, John and Esther Chisholm, who were the first uh, New Testament Christians in the county. And we'd, we'd just been talking about them in class. So, you know, you're writing copious notes about these people. And then all of a sudden you walk out there and you're like, these people? Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, and, and then all of a sudden, it's it, it, to me, that's what snagged me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm getting my camera out, taking photos, and, and it just grew from that yeah uh, this idea of wanting to just connect with the people who've gone before mm-hmm. and uh, i mean i've always i mean in, in high school i was interested in history but it was really when it's just something about standing in a grave i mean you know the mm-hmm. body's gone back to the dust but you see a marker that says you know that dash and the before and after yeah and you go Wow, they really were people 
by those names, and they really did do those things. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I've always loved history. I, as as a as a young man, um, it's funny. Owen was asking me this about yesterday. He's like, "What what uh you know part of history?" This is while we were out shoveling in the backyard. We had some really good conversations back there, by the way, Justin. That we'll have to talk. Yeah, that's about. that's why I was late coming up here because your your wife was was telling me about. Just th- that that you all were having really great conversations oh, yeah. yesterday. The only problem is that when Owen's mouth stops, starts moving, the shovel stops. So. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, you got to get those things working that, in tandem. That's right. So one of the things he asked Maybe me, a ploy. one of the things he asked me, <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell him. Like, listen, if you can't do both, just stop talking. <laughs> no, but uh, he he was asking me, he's like, what's your favorite part of history? And I said, well, you know, when I was a kid, I always liked World War Two, and he's like, I like World War Two also. I'm like, okay, cool, but. uh you know, that was always my favorite subject in history growing up, but I still always like history more broadly and uh, have studied, you know, I guess as I get older, the areas that I, I'll like actually read a book on has uh, has branched out from World War II history, I guess is what I'm saying there. But it's interesting how I can, I can also kind of understand why it doesn't captivate a lot of people's interest because it's very easy for those folks to not seem real. And it takes something like that for it to happen. I'll tell you two things that come to mind when I think about that. I was watching some video on YouTube and it was, it was about archeology span And you know, this woman was talking about how she unearthed this clay pot and looking at it, there was a thumbprint in it, hmm. Oh wow! which is like, Oh man, that's something, you know, but then something else, you know, uh, so that they will, so that they will not grow old that series on world war one or that they may not grow old. Oh yeah, right. yeah. Uh, the Peter Jackson, uh, he he took a whole whole bunch of uh, and Peter Jackson Jackson is the fellow who did the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Um, he took all of this original World War One footage and had Old it black and white. Yeah, had yep. it restored and colorized. And they also, you know, there's there's no audio. There, there was no ability to record audio with the video back then. And so he got these lip reading experts to figure out what, what these people were actually saying in yeah. the videos. And then had voice actors, you know, say what the people were saying to to create this this film that's a, a lot more lot more realistic. That th- th- they shall not grow. Old, they also I think is what it's they called. also uh, I mean because of course, film from that era, the the timing's off to where when folks are you know you seem like crossing the street, their legs are moving faster than any of us can move. And so part of the remastering is they slowed it down. Right. And so so between that the colorizing and then the the voiceover, it was just like. It was just a whole new take on on World War One history that I've never, you know, it's just a new appreciation for it because again, like you said, it's just something, something about standing over a grave, seeing a thumbprint, seeing seeing these folks, and and hearing what they might have sounded like that that makes it, you know, makes you appreciate it more. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. So. Okay, so you have I, I guess let's let me go ahead and plug this up front. So you help maintain a website on. The restoration movement, correct? Well, a lead on from the story I started a minute ago was I had all these photos of all these places I had been, and I had a friend uh, say, well, what are you going to do with all these? Because basically I'd made up little albums to put in my, you know, uh, library. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, so we're trying to figure out a way. And and so he he suggested, well, you need to to publish them. And I'm going, well, you know, this is a – it's a living – project Mm -hmm. Uh, as soon as I got something published it would be out of print or or be out of date because I'm I'm continuing to add all the time to the information that I'm gathering and so it's like you know what do you do well 
it was around around 2000 uh and he said and he said well why don't, why don't you try the web mm-hmm. and of course it's still relatively new in my mind as to what you know what what's there and what could be done and yeah. so i i started uh, learning a little bit about um kind of some of the web language and and i had a very very dos based <laughs> uh web producing software program yeah. that uh i just learned how to put some code in and put some information and and lo and behold i had this this small little web website you huh. know that i started out so uh, at first I was, uh, well, I called it the restoration movement.com. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so is that still the active URL? That is the active URL. Okay. So everyone listening, go check out the restoration movement.com. Yeah. I tried restoration movement, but it was a furniture factory. So I, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. You don't typically think of furniture moving very much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I guess I think it was like <laughs> renewing, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you'll have to excuse him. Anyway, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so, so I put the, and I had somebody say one time, well, shouldn't you put a, and I said, well, you know, you put your own site together, call it what you want, but uh, it's, I mean, like you know, what's, what's a definite article between friends, you know, well, exactly. I feel like choosing the name of a website is probably a lot like choosing the name of a band, choosing the name of a podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at some point, you want to make sure it's unique. You got, yeah. you, but you got to get it out there. Too. And one, one must occasionally go to great lengths to ensure the uniqueness. Yes, you might have to go to great nerdy lengths. Yes, yes, precisely. So it's called the RestorationMovement dot com. So I, I don't want to make any assumptions about our listenership. Um, I, I think that there probably are people who are connected to the Church of Christ who listen, but I think that uh, the reach is broader than that. Mm-hmm. So could you um, just briefly tell what the Restoration Movement is and how you are connected to it? Okay. Well, I was brought up in Churches of Christ, uh, but uh, and of course my father was a preacher, and so I learned lessons about, about history, and most of my focus like most of us, is on Bible history. You know, mm-hmm. we look at things and events that happened in the Bible. But beyond that, people don't think a whole lot, uh, you know, about the, the worthiness of it as far as filling your mind with it. Uh, and I think it's just, you know, I think we've talked about that. People just don't, uh, don't study history very much. But mm-hmm. there were things that happened after you know, the apostles died after the book was completed. Yeah. And you see a kind of a, a, a diversifying approach to God and his word. And uh, so you see departures take place from really holding uh, the, the Bible up as being a clearly defined uh, basis upon which, you know, to, to follow religion by. Cause I, so much. I think the thing with that too is on the one hand, it seems like we have a lot of folks that aren't that interested in history, but on, on the other hand, there are those that will latch on to historical events. In a lot of ways, we, we've talked about it on here a little bit, they will also use it to try to cast doubt. And I'll, you see that a lot in like the progressive Christian movement. They'll particularly, yeah. uh, one of the things they, they jump on quite a bit is like the ecumenical councils and the Council of mm-hmm. Nicaea. And, and uh, I mean, I've heard this argument before where, you know, well, and these all these guys all got together, went to this dark, smoky room, and decided what the Bible was. And it's just like this oversimplification of the events that happen, you know. Yeah. Well, if you fast forward to the Middle Ages, to the times of uh, the Renaissance period, you you've got uh, men like Martin Luther and 
John Huss, John Wycliffe, and others who in their own particular areas looked at the religious division of the day, the problems, how far it had gotten away from the Bible. Uh, they are the educated people, and they had an opportunity to read the Bible, and what they did is they tried to get people to come back. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of, the, I would call them even restorationists. They were people who thought, we got to go back to the Bible. Right. Yeah, and, they, and they, they, <clears throat> they tend to be called the Reformers, and so that was the the, the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might say they, they didn't go far enough. Well, I think they went about it in the wrong way. They had the the, the great idea, let's just go back to the Bible. Uh, however, yeah. they were so caught up in the world of their day that it became very, very political. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to a religious movement, their religious movements became social movements yeah. as well. And so uh, there's a book, I'm, I was trying to think of the name of the, of the writer. It's called The, the Stepchildren of the Re- Reformation. Hmm. And That's interesting. It's, 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 it's talking about uh, the, the Anabaptists and, and uh, other groups like that the, um, that saw what the Reformers were doing, and they were, they were excited about what they were doing, but they also engaged social Order, or the social change. They, they also uh, had armies. Uh, yeah. You know, they they merged with society because that was kind of what they came yeah. from. And so it it was hard for them to think that you could actually have a religious movement that stood on its own and not something that <clears throat> depended on having yeah. force behind it. You know, you don't have to have the sheriff being on your team in order to forge ahead with uh with religious reform mm-hmm. so with yeah, with luther if i'm not mistaken with luther specifically too you know i i think in the past i thought it was just a matter of him wanting to make the bible more accessible to other people but then there was also an element of uh i can't remember what the names of these two things were but there was this idea of uh i think the things that we're, we're probably familiar with the idea of like saying certain incantations and things like that for the forgiveness of sins, so like the Hail Marys and things like that. But Indulgences. Yeah, but and then there's the one where you literally paid money. Yeah. For, yeah, for, th- that, that was indulgences. That's indulgences, yeah. yeah. So John Tetzel. But but I mean it's it, there's there's so there's that aspect of it where it isn't just a matter of uh you know like I guess what I, I used to tend to think of is the only, you know, Bibles were not as, uh, I mean, is this, is this pre Gutenberg probably? Uh, well, yeah. And Luther, no, um, no, put pre and post. Yeah. Yeah. So Luther was, well, one of the things he got in trouble for was wanting to, and then he did it, uh, translate, I guess first the new Testament. Right. Um, I, I don't know. Did he complete the, the old Testament as well? He at least got the new Testament into German. Right. Uh, and and out of out of Latin and and that was that was one of the things that that the Catholic Church was furious with him yeah about but but where I mean you look at at, at Luther and you see he had the protection of the Elector <clears throat> Frederick and uh, so he he had that freedom to actually pull away uh, freely from the from the Roman Church and to be able to do that however by engaging Frederick the Elector as your as your protector, you also have his enforcement mm-hmm. to press because it 
you know, the, the sale of indulgences were actually something that laced his pocket. You know, Pope Leo the Tenth's wanting to build right. St. Paul's yeah, uh, or St. Peter's. And uh, but yet the elector was was getting some some strength there. He was getting some money. Yeah. There's kickbacks. I, and as well as he's he's putting the screws to the to the papal authority and he's not having to. Yeah, be as responsible. Which, what, right, and that's kind of my point. Like, it's not just a matter of uh, folks not being able to understand the Bible, having their own personal re- relationship with God. I think that's probably part of it. But then it's also these things that were absolutely a biblical and then corrupt. Uh, to your point, and and so yeah. Well, and then it wasn't too long before. So you mentioned the Anabaptist. <clears throat> the, the Anabaptists are uh, the, the Church of Christ uh, is an inheritor of an aspect of the Anabaptist tradition because they believed in believers baptism. They did. You know, as opposed to pedo baptism. And that's one of the things they were persecuted for. And Luther was in favor of the death penalty for Anabaptists because of the things that that they believed. So before Hmm. Luther was even, even dead, there, there were, there was such upheaval in Germany and, 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 and starting to spread, in Europe between competing groups of Christians that, that it, it came to, to bloodshed. It really did. And, and by their having that power behind them, um, you know, it was a matter of a, it was a matter of a declaration of war as much as anything. You know, you, you talk about evangelism on a whole different level. Either mm-hmm. you change and become one of us or you, you know, you die. Yeah. So I, mm-hmm. I guess maybe the, the, the point is something like, the, the the presence of institutional power, both political and economic, complicates the complicates the message of the gospel. It it very much does, and and I think that leads on from our, our original uh, discussion here, and and that is kind of what what led to the concept of having a restoration movement. Mm-hmm. It did not start here. Mm-hmm. There were there were places. There was a place in northern England in 1669 where uh, a group of, of people in the Anglican church, uh, they were living in London, and they were expected to pay a certain part of their income, a taxation, to the coffers, and they mm-hmm. had to be at church every Sunday to make sure it was in the coffers. And so their idea was, we want to... We, we need to have some spiritual freedom. So they went up into the Lake District in the very northern part where they, you know, it can be hidden in the fjords and the, you know, in the mountains. And they started a church. And in the old original church book is still uh, available to be seen. Hmm. And in the book, it, they called themselves simply a church of Christ. Hmm. Huh. And their desire was simply to do Bible things in Bible ways. Yeah. Now, they didn't, and if you go back and look at their theology, you would argue, well, they didn't quite get to New Testament Christianity. But the concept was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is that you can do it. You can go back to the Bible without having an army behind you, without having a social right. uh, uprise that would bring a change to government and, and power and authority. Well, when you even look at 
and I guess th- so this whole thing is interesting. I think what you're saying, because it, what it reminds me of is the conversation we were having before where, where, you know, everybody thinks the world began at Marx with a lot of the problems we're having right now. But, you mm-hmm. know, obviously he had his influences. And so, the you know, getting to Heigl and all that. So it's the same thing where I don't know, like there's probably a, a mark on the calendar when we're saying the restoration movement began. But obviously those people were influenced by people who were influenced by people. Cause even going back to the folks that came over on the Mayflower, like that was, that was their whole situation. They wouldn't join the church of England. Some of they went to the, I, I believe it was to the Netherlands at one yeah. point yep. and, and that wasn't working either. And so finally a group of them, you know, uh, contracted this vessel along with some other folks that weren't, weren't in their church and made the voyage across, you know, the ocean to the Americas. And they were called separatists. Right. Uh, if I was going to come up with a date, I would probably say the day the church began. Well, yeah. That was the call to go back to yeah. God and to be restored with God. And that call so like has one, been going on. 180? Is that what <laughs> Well, I mean, 33 if you 33. take the 33 or right, 28 right. or whatever, or 26, whatever you, number you go with. But, you know, you have the promise of Daniel 2.44 that in the days of these kings, God of heaven set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Yeah. And if that kingdom began with the apostles, yeah. then it would have been a, con- a perpetual kingdom yeah. that was never destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I think you can look at the dark ages we watched a video the other day and and uh, on the dark ages and there were some dark ages <laughs> that physically were dark but mainly it was because they they did not preserve their history yeah but i'm a i'm a firm believer that yeah. at some place at, in every time in history there was a the lord's church was there yeah and uh, we may not ever find the links yeah but i think you can find uh, a lot of times when people did not just go with the Roman church. They just, they said, you know, we're, we're, we're going to stay with the scriptures. Yeah. You know, and, mm. and, and so as far as that date, it's really hard to say. I mean, I would not go to um, the um, Red River Meeting House and say, okay, Church of Christ started that day. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't go to, you know, um, uh, Bethany, Virginia, and say that's when the, you know, talk about the church at Brush Run and say, well, that's where the Church of Christ began. No, you, I mean, you could spend a lot of time thinking about the the Scottish Reformation and and the work that was done, yeah, uh, to try to get people back to doing Bible things alone, yeah, in Bible ways. No, that's interesting. I mean, if you have, I think, kind of what God had or Christ had in mind, like these whatever disparate groups of people just worshiping. God using the scriptures, they probably weren't focused on ensuring that like we keep a record of all this. They were just going to church and, and worshiping versus, you know, uh, you know, I guess like Catholicism or whatever, where there's probably, a, uh, we just have, there's just better record of that good, bad, or indifferent, I suppose. Well, and <clears throat> from what I, excuse me, from what I understand, um, well, sorry. Let me let me go away from that. Um, the the other que- another question that I had on my mind was uh, so w- so when we say restoration movement, uh, when did that become something that was aware of itself, and who were the uh, main players in that becoming a yeah a, a movement in the United States? 
Well, when you look at the history of America itself, you see people coming here, the pilgrims coming here, and other religious groups coming here to escape um, the oppression of Europe. They want to come here. They want to do follow the Bible as, as they saw God leading them. And so you actually see little pockets, and we've discover, actually discovered little pockets of individuals in various different places uh, in, uh, well, just almost from the get-go of landing here uh, in this country all the way up until, you know, the, the push toward the, toward the West. Mm-hmm. Um, even in southern Indiana uh, there with uh, some of the, I'm trying to think of the, the rights, um, the right. Yeah, the Wright family, I think it was. Okay. Um, there was, uh, they had a movement there uh, near Salem. Really? Uh, okay. Indiana. And they were a group of German, what they called German dunkers. Um, and um, they came here and just started, uh, they just wanted to do Bible things and Bible ways. And, and so they were already baptizing, but they hadn't quite figured out why they were doing it okay and so in time they they came to discover that it was not because of salvation as some uh, usually the calvinists taught it was uh to be baptized to be saved and so you know they started uh started teaching that and then uh there was a, a group down in warren county um at um the old philadelphia uh meeting house a, a group of of people from over in in North Carolina, kind of came over uh, and settled in the <laughs> the far west of central, what is now central Tennessee, south central Tennessee, and you know when you got your neighbors about five miles apart from each other and and everything, and they're just and the story is is that. Uh, they were all from different religious backgrounds and they got together and said, well, how can we worship together? And somebody came up with the idea, well, what if we just, uh, let's just do Bible study. And if we see what they did in the Bible as being um, acceptable to God, if we do those things, then surely we'll be acceptable to God. And uh, it makes sense. And, yeah. and, Imagine that. <laughs> and if, and if there was something you did in your church back home, and we can't find it in the Bible just for the sake of unity, let, let, you know, so that we can worship together. Yeah. Let's just leave it out. And people thought, oh, I, you know, that's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. And so then you see this gelling of a movement that, you know, start taking place. And, and of course, most people will identify when you're talking about history of churches of Christ, you'll d- identify with Alexander Campbell, Martin W. Stone in Kentucky. Right. But by and large, that this, they were key characters no doubt about it mm-hmm. but they uh they didn't start it they you know they proliferated it they uh, uh facilitated it through their journals through yeah. their magazines right. you know they wrote these papers they send it all to the out the west you know somebody's riding along in his coach and he pulls into this stage you know uh place and and there's this piece of paper there he picks it up he reads about this religious writer and he tells him well here's what you know the bible says and this is what we're doing and and you know somebody out there in the wild west of south alabama (laughs) writes in and says hey we're doing that too Hmm. yeah 
And the next thing you know, you're 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 seeing a movement gel and and to develop. So so you're saying like there there were some some key personalities and I mean I, I don't know, I guess I get the sense that they were significant at the time, but they might just be significant because they were the ones recording it or Well, they were leading it. Right, okay. But it was also otherwise kind of like happening organically. Very much grassroots. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I, I got to ask you a question that I've been kind of chewing on, but I, I'm hesitant to ask given the, uh, I don't know, like the views and the claims of like Christian nationalism and all that. Uh, let me see if I can put it this way. You know, I, our, our children are homeschooled. As you know, your kids were homeschooled. Justin's kids are homeschooled. So, you know, we got we all have that in common, right? <laughs> Cheers. Bunch of, <laughs> bunch of crazy homeschool people sitting at the table here. You hello, know, hello, my name is Justin, and today I'm going to tell you about the restoration movement. <laughs> the restoration movement was, anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, in, in the curriculum that our, our kids are doing, there's, you know, this timeline that they have to memorize, which is from creation to the present day. And so creation and the fall, right? So there's this, the there's, there's this song. song that comes with it that <laughs> like every CC it's, it's kid, great. everybody, you know, every parent, you latches onto certain things in it. If they don't know the whole now, thing, the, the first time I heard it all the way through by the end of it, I was actually like, I didn't weep, but th- there was like the start of, of tears <laughs> Yeah, because like I thought our kids are, are getting this, this whole thing communicated to them in a way that they can engage with. And that's so good that they're getting that and that, that, that Christ is put at the center of that. Right. But then it's so sad that there are, there are so many kids who don't get it. Well, I have one question though. Yeah. How many stanzas does that song? Oh, it's probably a good 15 minutes long or something. It's, it's long, but it's, it's broken up over, you know, kids learn a four year cycle. They do four year cycle. Yeah. So anyways, probably smack dab in the middle of it. I guess the point I was making is there'll be things that you hear throughout. Like I'll, I'll hear some of them and I know it there and there's other ones. It's like, what's that? And I'd find myself looking up where they are. And one of the first things I ever looked up was right smack dab in the middle. Caesar Augustus and, and the, the Pax, Pax Romana. Romana, John the Baptist, Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. And then they start into the, you know, the AD period. And I'm going like Pax Romana. What's that? Mm, piece so, of Rome. So I started looking into that. And, and so now now that I understand what the Pax Romana is, I don't think that Jesus came during that time by accident. No. You know? And so as bad as Rome was, and as much as the Jews were persecuted by them, and as much as Christians were persecuted by Jew, by Romans by Rome afterwards, uh, I don't think it's an accident. I think Rome was also... Was, I mean, this is saying the obvious. Like, Rome is part of God's plan, you know? I think that the mobility that Paul had throughout the Decapolis by, be, by virtue of being a Roman citizen help spread the gospel, you know? No doubt. And so I guess what I want to ask here then, being very careful, because again, Christian nationalism and all that stuff, right? But it also seems like, uh, could it be that America is part of God's plan? Well, I definitely could say July the 4th, 1776 is our Pax Romana. Yeah. I mean, it it certainly facilitated uh, our ability, but but I think it was well established before then uh, that it was was coming. You go back to the 1740s with... uh, uh, the Whitfields uh, up in New England teaching uh, about uh, the idea that you could you could be saved and so, so you, would that be first great awakening first yeah pretty much the first great awakening in, in American history and um, 
it, it it made it possible for people to have those freedoms to break out of those molds because right. you know Calvinism was a stronghold here even though America was founded on freedom you know on freedom yeah most of your main churches here that were not Catholic were um, were Calvinistic right so uh, even the Catholic Church had become. They were Augustinian, so I mean it's kind of the same, right? And and so I guess thing. like what I'm what I mean by you know God, America's part of God's plan is it seems like because of the circumstances, frontier living, being again being in disparate groups from different religious traditions, and then having to have that conversation where it's like, well, how are we going to worship and kind of come into the consensus? We're going to do what the Bible says, like, and not having the outside pressures of like the Church of England or the Roman Catholic Church that like we that that folks in this country will, were able to experience that, you know, like, I think that that seems like pretty special. That wouldn't have happened otherwise, perhaps with the, the pressures that they were feeling in Europe. I think you look through the U S constitution and see how that was made possible. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly I like to think the providence of God was involved in it. Yeah. And, uh, it certainly has given us the ability. Now I'll tell you what, on a local level, there's still been, you know, the non-consensus there have been the uh the you know there's been a lot of rejection yeah. from from established high church philosophies and teachings and we always done it this way and we're gonna you know yeah. type thing and so for somebody to come along and say well you know it, it's not that technical it's just look what look what they did, and mm-hmm. let's just do what they did. Yeah. And if they were pleasing to God, then we can do what they did, and we'll be pleasing to God too. Yeah. So, um, so back to, I guess uh, Campbell and Stone. Mm-hmm. So we've you, you said a, a few things that I think um, would, would help help the listeners at home understand uh, what the Restoration Movement was about, and and you just referred to it again. Um, trying to do the kinds of things that we find in the Bible as a way of being pleasing to God. Uh, so how did how did Stone and Campbell um, communicate that, or what were um, what what I guess were their primary teachings that influenced people in that direction? Well. <clears throat> Probably it would do do us well to, I mean, we could just about spend a whole another hour talking about the first <laughs> 20 years uh, of the 19th century. And because it wasn't until about 1824 that Stone and Campbell actually met each other. Okay. But up until that time, they had, you know, they, both of them came out of Presbyterianism uh, and they... Uh, had known each other, but they were both going through the same kinds of things. They were influenced uh, by being in the, you know, the Wild West. But you know, when I say Wild West, I'm talking about you know, Western Reserve was what the top thirteen Northeast counties of Ohio yeah. uh, for Campbell <clears throat> and uh, and Stone. Of course, you know, he's he's coming from North Carolina over through the Cumberland Gap and up into southern well up into northern kentucky and so quite independently of each other there is this there's this driving force in presbyterianism that actually goes all the way back to uh, scotland itself where around the first of the century 
there is there is a revival taking place in the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, hmm. uh, which is the Church of Scotland. Is that right? Church of Scotland, yes. And yeah, so over here, uh, the Church of England is called the Episcopal Church. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, that's Church of England, and then the Presbyterians were originally Church of Scotland. Right. So you've got people like. Um, uh, the Haldane brothers, uh, Robert and, and, and James Haldane, who were wealthy, uh, wealthy family and funded Saturday schools and were really pressing the idea of just going back and following the Bible. They didn't get all the way there, but that was they really believed in evangelism. That kind of works against the basic concept of of Calvinism, and that is that if God wants a relationship with you, he's already planned it before time began, and he will send mm-hmm. his spirit, and you will have some sort of experience, and you will uh, relate that experience, and people go, oh, yeah, you're one of God's. Interesting. Uh, what what uh, the Haldanes were doing in Scotland, what the Ewings, uh, Greville Ewing was doing uh, in Glasgow is uh, he was saying, no, we need to be evangelistic. We need to go out there and teach people the gospel. Standard uh, Presbyterian Church of Scotland teaching was we don't evangelize. Hmm. So he was being evangelistic. He went over into Northern Ireland where Alexander and Thomas Campbell were living, and he preached this concept of you don't really have to wait for an experience. Hmm. You can make a choice for God. Yeah. And so when they came here, they already had that in the back of their mind that, you know, people don't have to wait. And and if you look at uh, what was going on right here in uh, in our county with James McGrady, so he and, and Stone and William Hodge and uh, uh, Alexander Craighead down in Nashville, uh, what is now Madison area. Mm-hmm. They were all from North Carolina, and they started this kind of this movement when they came over here. The idea was that you don't have to wait for some experience. And if you go back and you look at the history of what was going on around the turn of the, of the 19th century, it was, I mean, you look, you had this national pride after 17, what, 89, I think, was that one at the end? When was when was the end of the revolution? Uh, 1783, I believe. 83. 1789 was that uh, Constitution? Uh, yeah. 1789 in New York, George Washington was granted the full powers, powers. Okay. of the, the U.S. Constitution. Yeah, yeah, yep. I like that. Anyway, <laughs> so there was this national high. Our Everybody wives, was so excited. Our wives would be so proud yeah. if they listen to us. Yeah, no, they don't. I mean, no, it's. I don't mean they don't ever listen to us. They just don't listen to the podcast. They don't. They get enough of us. Well, now. it's that it was such a a time of national nationalism. People just loved, and they waved the flag. They were really happy. One long after that country actually enters into depression it's kind of like that you know they'll you'll have your highs and then you have your real real lows and so the country was going through lows and around um 1788 89 90 those last 10 years um (laughs) according to the calvinists holy spirit had just given up on this world on this country are you talking economic depression or or like no we're talking about just attitudes 
basically the Holy Spirit was not extending any experiences. Ah. So people were depressed. Oh, but, but, they but thought also, there was no, no, no presence of God. Calvinism also tends to be cessationist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's... That. Well, as much as those preachers were trying to drive it, there was a, there was a pastor named James McGreedy. Mm-hmm. No preacher was more capable among the Presbyterians than James McGreedy to move a person into the aisle. He, he had the ability to paint such a picture of hell that it would scare any man, woman, or child sitting listening to him. In fact, when Barton Stone, who was over in North Carolina at uh, the Guilford Academy, when he heard, he heard McGreedy the first time, he was, uh, he was really put off by it. It was only when he heard William Hodge, who really talked about the love of Jesus and the, the grace of God and the mercy of God, that's when that really got to Barton Stone more than James McGreedy. They were still friends, and McGreedy and Hodge and Stone and uh, Craig, they all moved over into this area and, and started preaching. But when they got here, this was a really bad place. I mean, mm-hmm. Russellville was Rogue's Harbor, you know, they called it. Uh, it was where if you got in trouble in Tennessee, you could escape. Yeah. And, yeah, a, a daredevil. Yeah, there was no law. Yeah, No especially. law here. And, uh, and so they, you know, came up, came in, up into this area. And so McGrady starts, you know, he's preaching for three churches. He's over on Gasper River. There was a, a church over on Mud River. And then this one down here on the northern branch of the Red River. And he was responsible for these three churches. And so he, he starts preaching uh, about, um, <laughs> he starts preaching John 3.16. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, everybody knew how to quote that verse. But what was it really saying? You know, if you're a Calvinist, it's not a whosoever concept. Mm. It's only who God chooses. Mm -hmm. It's only who God shares the message with. But if you listen to what the verses say, you got a choice. Yeah. And that's what, when in the spring of 1801, uh, uh, Martin Stone came down from Paris. He was preaching up around Paris to a Presbyterian church. When he came down here. Paris, Kentucky? Paris, Kentucky. Okay. He comes down here, and he hears, because it just seems to be some revival going on. People are, are getting excited, and uh, more people are, are, are finding the Lord. And so he comes out to check out what's going on. And when he goes back, that's what he preaches on, hmm. you know, uh, and it was a refreshing thing that a person could actually make a choice for God mm-hmm. and and have a relationship with Him. Um, sometimes you ever have a chance read the biography of 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 um, of Stone. Hmm. He wrote it probably a couple of years before he died. And so I'm sure his memory was a little hazy, but boy, he really writes a clear description of what frustration he was going through Yeah, as he was trying to come out from under the weight of Calvinistic yeah. uh, teaching. 
that that he he saw the need to um, to find comfort in the Word of God. That you know, just take what Jesus says: He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mm-hmm. Well, take him at his word. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's something that and I've been around and around on that topic with you know not a lot of people, but you know if more than a few, and I'm sure you have too. I don't know, Byron, if, if you've ever been in that particular conversation with anybody before the uh, the, the Calvinist issue. I, I don't think so. I don't think I've engaged anybody enough that... I, like, I haven't engaged an actual Calvinist, and I think most of the people I've talked to the Bible about, like, that's not their thing, and I don't think that they're... kind of goes yeah. back to our, our understanding of history and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, like, I, I, I really try hard to, to see things from another person's perspective as best as I can and I try to test things against the scriptures and when when the 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 tenets of that belief system are are laid out there are just way too many scriptures that come to mind off the top of my head uh, against each premise that like I I I can't I can't get around it Mm -hmm. and John 316 alone yeah is how how do you, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, right. but to save the world through him. How, how am I to take that to mean, that to, to define the world, not as all the people that have ever existed, hmm. but only those whom he has preordained to accept the message. And not only has he preconditioned some to precondition, predestined some to accept that message, but he has also actively predestined others, not simply to reject it and face destruction, but eternal conscious torment for his glory. Right. I, 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 I can't get around it. Well, Stone, Stone felt like, as he was working through it, that to believe what he had been teaching uh, in in his church was to 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 recognize God. He saw his God as a monster. You know how how, mm-hmm. how how could you make this world? How can you say you love this world right. when you're going to condemn the majority of it? Yeah, and, and 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 of course, and the condemnation that's meant by Calvin or his followers that I've read or, or spoke with means eternal conscious torment which that that it's it's mind-boggling mind-bogglingly monstrous right and if that's what the scriptures teach so be it it just doesn't seem to square with a plain reading of the overwhelming preponderance of scriptures it's it's far more than preponderance i mean it's it's overwhelming that the scriptural evidence against that concept what you see coming out of the revival the Kentucky Revival, is a complete change of religious thought among the masses, you know, the, all the groups. Yeah. You see division in Presbyterianism. Hmm. Uh, you see the founding of the Cumberland Presbyterian Movement, mm-hmm. which is a Presbyterian church that does not believe in Calvinism. How do you do that? <laughs> But they did that. And so to this day, the Cumberland Presbyterians, and you see them all over the place, they're not Calvinistic. So, so I, I guess we're, 
I, I was trying to orient myself in history for a moment there while you're talking because I know when de, de Tocqueville came here and he, you know, he wrote Democracy in America, one of his observations was how religious the people of America were. And so I was, I was looking that up real quick, which that was your early 1800s. So early 1800s, this thing kind of gains a full head of steam and moves very quickly, it seems. In fact, I was talking about the word sacrifice for a communion meditation uh, one Sunday. And uh, one of the things that Justin and I do on here, mostly due to his influences, we spend a lot of time talking about words and etymology and all that. And so uh, it has become my custom now uh, to, to look words up. And, and one of the things that uh, I found with the word sacrifice is that in our country, uh, its peak usage was in early 1800s, which, you know, Second Great Awakening, Restoration Movement, you know. So I, I guess what I, I was wondering if we could maybe take this uh, a different direction or a similar direction with kind of the time that we have left if we're trying to keep this to an hour-ish. Ish. Yeah. Ish. Because um, it seems as though this part of the country or Kentucky is significant, or at least you, you know a lot of the history of this area, and considering a lot of our listeners are probably from this area, like, so, so what, what's significant about this area? I know for like our congregation, we meet in a building that's from the 1800s, quite likely, you a- know, a- 1870s. I think the congregation itself, uh, dates from the 1850s perhaps, but, and, and the building itself from the, from the 1870s. Cause that's ac- the, the building we worship in is actually the second building. The second, the yeah. original building is further down towards 79. Yeah. It's down on the spring. Right. The beautiful old building, the, the, the old Macedonia Christian church. And then it, which, you know, this is probably in the weeds a little bit and, and, and kind of further down the line from the time period that we've been talking about. But there, there was a point when, when there was um, some impetus to differentiate between Christian churches and churches of Christ. Right. And for w- whatever those reasons were, obviously our congregation was, was with whatever aspect of, of the movement that saw... I don't know, prepositional phrases being significant. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I guess then the question is, so what, what's, what significant events happened here in Logan County, Russellville, Allensville, you know, Adairville. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, Logan really, uh, evolved out of Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, as a state and, and Logan County was, you know, from the, the most of <laughs> most probably Green River all the way over to the Mississippi River was Logan County. Uh-huh. And so you're, you know, you're looking at a, at a really, and it, and it was sparse. It was um, really an early time in, in our history. I, I don't know how much Daniel Boone actually spent in this time, but I know some of his family yeah. did settle in this area over mm-hmm. around uh, Elkton, Trenton area. Really? Uh, huh. And, huh. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, there was a um, there was a restoration preacher. In fact, he started Churches of Christ, uh, the Christian movement in Christian County. Uh, his name was Isaiah Boone, and okay. he was the nephew of Daniel Boone. He's and he's buried over in Elkton. Uh, really, visit his grave there. So that the, the, the old cemetery that's just north of town, north of the square. Yep, that one. Yep, okay, that old cemetery is pretty cool huh. uh, there. But I've got a I've got a web page on Isaiah Boone and. Is, is that also is that a, a page connected to the restoration movement yes, com? Yes. Okay. I've got I've probably chronicled well over a couple thousand, maybe more, preachers and really? churches and I thought you were going to say a couple dozen 
and then maybe a couple hunt a couple thousand thousand yeah well, I, wow I was, that, that's that's phenomenal i was on here earlier yeah because one of the selections is graves by state so i i guess i hadn't clicked on that one yeah you go go to kentucky and you can see where I, kind of my main focus oh, is to uh encourage people to realize that if you live especially in the eastern part of the united states maybe a little less in the western part but in the eastern part uh maybe from the mississippi river back uh, you're probably living within 25 miles of where real restoration work was done in the early days of just trying to you know you're talking about the camp meetings and gospel meetings and yeah. people trying to get people mm-hmm. to go back to the Bible and churches were established and and uh, and grew hmm. in this area and so I chronicle a lot of those of those places so I've been all the way up in Indiana a lot of places in Illinois and uh, all through Kentucky and Georgia and Alabama of course uh, Tennessee have Have you been to the uh, to the old cemetery in Sellersburg Indiana. I have. Okay, the, the the one at the old brick church. That's the old, the old German cemetery. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Who were the? Uh, there was wasn't it some brothers that uh, uh, preached. Um, so. Yeah, I I, I have people yeah. buried in. I mean, I'm in both of them at Sellersburg, yeah. but I've got. I've uh, been some, in that old cemetery. Sure yeah, so my, my first some of my first German ancestors are are in that old, the old cemetery at the old brick church. Wow. So, so you're, you've mentioned a lot going back to the Bible, and, and one aspect of it that you've, you've discussed is um, recognizing that the gospel is for all, that, that John 3.16 really does matter and really does tell the truth about the Lord's intentions towards us. You know, whosoever will uh, may come. Salvation really is for, for everyone. So what are some other things that... What are some other applications that the restoration movement found regarding going back to the Bible? Like what, what were some other concrete ways? So aside from just preaching John 3.16 as opposed to uh, the, the inherited Calvinism from the Presbyterian Church or, or from the Lutheran Church or what have you, what, what are some other ways that they were trying to concretely go back to the Bible? Well, I, you know, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit by just saying the doing the Bible things in Bible ways. Obviously, if you get to that point, you've kind of agreed to let the Bible be an authority. And mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. allow the Bible basically to interpret itself. Okay, as opposed, so like, I know the answer to this, but the, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, put myself in the, in the position of somebody not, not so familiar with our brotherhood sure. of, of churches. So... The authority of the Bible as opposed to what? Well, as opposed to, um, well, basically ecumenism, um, essentially just the idea of Christ and us coming together on the basis of a feeling or a thought or, uh, or even a person, the person of Jesus, and not what Jesus had to say or what Jesus had mm-hmm. to teach. You know, there's enough about what Jesus himself says, you know, why call me Lord, Lord, not do things I say, you know drawing near to him but not having a heart for him you know and and uh, in Matthew 15 and 8 and 9 so uh, you know Jesus clearly defined what the way of truth was going to be and it was clearly uh, um, expressed by you know they uh, the apostles took us into all truth and and mm-hmm. um, so that what we have in the scriptures is sufficient and so it's not sufficient 
just for how one is saved, but it's also sufficient for how um, one worships or how one even organizes himself into a body of believers mm-hmm. in a local in a local setting. Yeah. And so, you know. So, so you have the authority of Christ as expressed through the scriptures as opposed to an ecclesiastical hierarchy. Um, and so the restoration movement then tended to be, at least from its inception, decentralized as opposed to centralized in specific denominational hierarchy. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it taught us, well, when you look at the New Testament church, you see a church that was united in spirit through the blood of Christ, but yet the churches were autonomous. They had elders in every place, and they, uh, they, they all, you know, Paul several times will say, this is what we do in all the churches, you know, mm-hmm. as far as yeah. the giving and uh, on the first day of the week and, and uh, the teaching about singing and the teaching about, you know, the, the Lord's Supper, you know. Uh, they, they all had this, uh, this consistent order that was in place among churches of Christ in the New Testament. Uh, each congregation, were they were able to unite themselves on the basis of the fact that they so carefully followed the guidelines of the apostles. And if you read it close enough, you can see, you know, these apostles are getting older when they write these words. You can see they're deep concern that you know they're not they're not long for this world so what advice do you give them what does the holy spirit say to them except be very careful of of doing it the way we set forth you know and and so god you know he empowered those apostles uh, and and acts two you know you can just see 3,000 people becoming Christians, being washed of their sins that day. And the Bible says in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching, breaking bread. It's like they said, okay, we've been baptized. What do we do next? Yeah, And yeah. And, and they're saying, okay, here's what you do next. Here's how mm-hmm. you worship. Here's how you organize. Here's how you you know, have elders and deacons and, you know, teachers and evangelists and all these various roles and duties within. So, so I guess you could also say that, so I, I mentioned the word like decentralized. Jesus made a big point to the disciples that it would be better for them, for him to not be there because he would send the Holy Spirit. Um, so that already is a decentralization of sorts. Um, and then even even when you get the, uh, there's clearly a, a, a primacy, I guess you might say, of the Jerusalem council and of, and of the apostles. But then as they, as, as they were either killed or died, like I'm not sure that I buy the, the Catholic sense of apostolic succession, which would produce an even further decentralization because what's present, it, you know, l- let's say you get to like 100 AD and, and finally the Apostle John has, has passed away and none of the original disciples are, are there. And so, okay, like, sure, you've got Polycarp, but Polycarp isn't John. So, so w- what do you have? You have the writings of the apostles, you have the Tanakh, but most importantly, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that that's, that's something that was lost probably very early 
and the desire for, uh, I guess, maybe human hierarchy that eventually produced, you know, the, 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 the Holy See in Rome yeah. and, the, and, and the papacy. It's like you, you've got to have that strong man, you know, at, at, the, at the top of the hierarchy instead of saying, okay, Christ is the head of the church. Yeah. And, and Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of, of woman. And like just the ability by the Holy Spirit to go before the throne of, of God himself is something that's lost oftentimes in misplaced, purely human hierarchy. I, and, and perhaps that's one of the most significant things that the restoration movement was trying to establish like you don't to go back to right. Yes. That's what I mean. Exactly. That's, that's what they were. That's what they were trying to, to restore. Um, and so of course you would have revivals breaking out and enthusiasm. You know, you already have this political freedom on the one hand, especially out here on the frontier in, you know, Kentucky, you're in the Northwest territory. There's finally political freedom, but that's not sufficient. Political freedom is good, but if you have to pick between political freedom and spiritual freedom, it's spiritual freedom every time. And so if they've got this brand new political freedom to put on top of that, like you also are free in Christ from your sins and you have the hope of eternal life. Yeah, that, there's some enthusiasm there. That's, that's really good news. It is. I got a couple of things swirling around in my head, so let me see if I can make them make sense. But you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately uh, in other areas. You know, like when uh, when you look at like again the Marxism uh, conversation, uh, the folks that would try to advance that ideology would say that capitalism is the more primitive form of government. And I've had this conversation with somebody before. And the thing is, is like in my experiences in my job, uh, I can tell you that like centralized control is the less complex thing. That's the simpler way of doing things, right? Um, like the 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 system where individuals have more freedom, but but still have training to conduct themselves appropriately with that freedom. That is the more complex thing, mm-hmm. you know. And so I say all that to say this. Like it's it's the classic thing whenever you're trying to describe define to somebody like what the Church of Christ is, you know, and I, I I'm sure maybe we've all said this at one point. It's like it's basically a denomination, but it's non-denominational because like so on and so forth. Like just just trying to explain it to other folks. It's, it's a type of church without a denominational hierarchy. Exactly right, but but it's it's hard for folks to understand that, and it's it's like if you because because here's the thing, like there's folks that are saying like how can that possibly work? It's like well, because we all have this same, I guess, these same tr- religious traditions that are grounded in the Bible, and, and, and the reality is that if you go from one Church of Christ to the other, you're going to walk in and, and worship is going to be a lot like what it is at, at another one on another part of the country, and that's because it is all. And so, so we have this freedom to an extent, like we aren't, we aren't controlled by some sort of, uh, I mean, I think what you're saying is right on, right on the, the nose, this idea of this... <laughs> inherent desire by man to have a hierarchy. I mean, we even see that in the old Testament I'm reading through second Kings right now. And you know, the disaster that that can turn into God didn't want him to have a King. Right. In the first place. Right. And, and you see why Yeah, like God was right. Yeah. Everything that he said that a King would do 
the kings did. Right. And it's and, but it's it's one of those things where well, well how can that be like how so how do you make it work without having that hierarchy but it's like I guess back to your original point we just use the Bible the Bible's authoritative the things that it says in it are authoritative you know I, I really believe that we are trying not to be a denomination I think the 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 I think the non-denominational term. Uh, has become somewhat convoluted right. to actually mean now interdenominational. Yeah. It's like we don't have, we're not just connecting with a with church. Uh, several years ago, I was talking to my dad about it, and he's been preaching for many years, and he said, I like to think that we're pre-denominational. <laughs> I said, I like that. Pre-denomination. Pre-denomination. We're just trying to go back, and 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 we do have. I'm gonna start. A, I'm gonna get that on my dog tags. <laughs> Isn't that pretty neat? Yeah. Pre-denominational. Um, yeah. Um, we do have a king, uh, who is uh, our royal head, and he calls the shots yeah, today. Right. And uh, so you know, there's if you want to call that communism, literal. I mean, that is. He is our king, and we serve him. Right. Um, we the royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. Absolutely. And and we have, but he's given us freedom to uh, to congregate in our in our local areas into one body mm-hmm. that will connect ourselves to that universal, you know. Uh, kingdom that god has has blessed us with but we you know we were self-ruled i don't i don't you know the crittenden drive doesn't tell allensville what to do and same vice versa and and you know we get on with the work of the lord and i i think if we could get this message and i think sadly i think some of our our friends in churches of christ have lost the beauty of this if you really capture what God has in mind of just the simplicity of it. I think it'll be attractive oh, to yeah. people, but people are not acquainted with it. They don't, they don't really understand the beauty of it, but if they do, you're going to see revival take place. I, I, I firmly believe it. I, I feel like I, uh, I, like, I feel like it's there, the, the potential for it to happen. And I guess I just say that, intuitively when I look at other things that are going on in our culture because everything on the one hand there is this need for technology and and you know complexity and so on and so forth but then you also see this there's a lot of folks now that are looking for things that are simpler you know I guess just across life um and so I I I feel like I like I think I think you're right I think it it can be attractive to people if they know that I guess maybe if they just even know that it's an option because I think there's some folks that, particularly maybe from our generation, that grew up in the idea of like purpose-driven church and you know mega churches and all that. <laughs> yeah. Like they don't realize that there's, shall we say, this alternative that's really not a, like a new thing. It's just it's always been there. Yeah. Well, I understand that there there is um, s- some growth going on in some older older mainline churches like the Orthodox, for example, and a lot of the growth in the Orthodox is people coming out of um, the evangelical churches that they were raised in, you know, whether that be a Baptist, I think predominantly, but yeah, uh, you know, Baptist, Methodist, uh, Christian church, non-denominational. 
And from what what I hear is that there there ended up being some shallowness and some superficiality. Yeah. That they and, and so that they know there's something deeper and truer about about the Lord, and they're able to connect with it in the the rites and the rituals that are um, that are enacted by, for example, the, the Orthodox Church. Um, and, and like, I, I don't, I don't begrudge them at all, but I, I think that, um, for those of us who, who are in churches of Christ or, or restoration movement oriented, um, or derived churches, we need to make every effort to, so, so, so the, the function of, of the simplicity that, that, that we appreciate or, or seek is that we don't want there to be distractions, um, from what the Lord is telling us in the scriptures. Absolutely. And, and we need to, we need to allow things to be as simple and as transparent as possible so that the, the beauty and the, the, the glory, the, um, just how good God is as expressed through the scriptures and by his spirit, you know, allowing that to, to shine through. And so, you know, we don't, we don't need a, a, a praise band to be able to do that. Correct. You know, God bless those who, those who do, and, and may they find the Lord and, and their pursuits. Yeah. But but we we don't see that as a priority. We don't need we don't we don't need um, a, a light show or a fog machine. Um, we don't need a, a brand new building. Juggling for Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like because what's there is so transformatively compelling. Absolutely. Okay, so I, I uh, like I, I wonder if. If if that can be something that that we pursue, that we can we can offer an alternative that is is even older than 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 what the Orthodox are are offering. Um, well, and I I wonder sometimes too if what some so folks that are turning to things that are more Orthodox and then hopefully even. Uh, yeah, right. So returning to our roots in 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 a Church of Christ like manner is maybe an escape from some of the lukewarmness that has crept in to a lot of, I think, evangelical churches now. Because, you know, I, again, can I say what I'm thinking? Can I make sense of what I'm thinking? <laughs> you <laughs> That's know, why I, we're doing this. Right. You know, it, it's like, I, I think I said this from the pulpit or something the other day where uh, folks, like they can tell, they can tell when you don't me actually mean or believe what you're saying, you know? And so I would rather hear you say something that I don't agree with, but at least I know that like it's with some conviction, like you actually believe what you're saying or, or struggling with what you're saying as opposed to, you know, tr- this all inclusive, you know, finding a way. I mean, cause it's, it's, it's to a certain extent where, uh, the prevalence of inclusivity in some of the more modern church it's akin to the indulgences, right? Like we're just finding a way to make sin okay. And I think that, that folks that are actually seeking God that know that that's not how it works. Hmm. And so. Well, the beauty to me, the beauty of unadulterated new Testament Christianity is that we are exposing people to the truth. Jesus came to reveal the truth. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think if you expose Jesus and expose what Jesus said, that's refreshing to people. Right. Mm-hmm. People want to hear 
They want to hear uh, something that that makes sense, not just doesn't ring their ears, but it rings their hearts, and mm. they go, "Huh, that's something I can hold on to." Yeah, uh, that's something that I can, you know, I, I can, you know, live by. And uh, I think that's what was so refreshing about Jesus and the world He came into. Yeah, it was a uh, about like our world today. It was just a uh, oh yeah mess. You read, read about what Corinth was like. I mean, it's like the Vegas of that area. Yeah, or, or read read the letters that Justin Martyr wrote to to whoever the emperor of Rome was at that point, and and telling the emperor, okay, this is what you all are accusing us of, but this is what you all are doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think Vegas yeah. is that bad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's getting there. Yeah. I mean, bad is bad is bad for sure. But it's 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 getting it's getting bad. But you know. Just the the beauty of not just the idea of Jesus, but really sharing what he said. And and to me, that's restorationist in nature because that's what he was. Mm -hmm. He was a restorationist. And Mm. if we can capture that concept uh, of what he was trying to do, then we can can make it. What does he say that uh, the devil is the original? Oh, the the devil is the original revolutionary. Right. No, Uh, I thought you, you called him something else. Uh, oh, the original deconstructionist. Deconstructionist, yeah. 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 And Christ is the original restorationist. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that that really is a good point because Christ really was all about restoring and not simply restoring, but expanding the relationship that was between God and man in the garden. Mm. You know, because a relationship with any person cannot be a static thing. Sure. It's a thing that either grows or it's a thing, or it, it moves in the direction of life or it moves in the direction of death. Um, mm-hmm. And so that the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden, that was something that was going to, to grow and get better and become more, um, more multifaceted and because they, they would do things together and he had plans for them, plans to prosper them and not to harm them, plans to give them hope and a future there, there in the garden. And because of that, even, even yes, Yes, you, you, restorationist, restoration movement. You might say, um, re- repentance is is connected mm. to that. You know, um, which basically is a change in thinking. You know, yeah, right? it's Great. right. You know, in a g- glorious leader, a couple of nights ago. <laughs> if you catch my drift, glorious leader, a couple of nights ago said that the the choice stands before our nation if we are going to move forward or if we are to move backwards. How about we figure out what good is and move in that direction regardless of how it's oriented spatially or whatever. Like, Mm. let's move in the right direction and not call it anything. Like, forward and backward is the wrong concept. Like, righteous and unrighteous is the way that we ought to think. And... Man, that that was so, that was so frustrating. Yeah, to listen to because it's so patently steeped in subterfuge. I, like I, I can, I I can I can barely I can barely stand it. I think that's where you know the was it the Greek term for sin? Hamartia. Hamartia is so appropriate because, you know, when I think about marksmanship and the application of the fundamentals, you you can have the proper fundamentals, and still be shooting at the wrong target. You know, 
Sure. Well, th- th- so there's they're shooting at the wrong. Tar- there's missing the target. They're shooting at the wrong target, and then there's turning around and shooting the person beside you. Well, that's what I'm saying. That would be the wrong target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, but I think restoration is is even a, a maybe a better way to to talk about the repentance issue, because it's not just turning around. Because it indicates the purpose of the turning. Sure. It's about the relationship that God intended in the beginning. Well, you hear that in Jesus' uh, words in Matthew 5. You've heard it been said before, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, I say if you're angry. You know, yeah, you, that's what I think. Or thou shalt, you know. Yeah. It, it, he, he, he's, he's really telling us what God meant when he said, thou shalt not commit adultery, mm-hmm. thou shalt not, you know, yeah. steal mm-hmm. or bear false way. I mean, it, it was, Jesus was saying, look, Let's go back to what, not just what he said, but what he meant by what he said. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm. that's a, exactly. Oh, man, I could go off on a big tangent on my whole leadership and compliance versus commitment. I mean, I feel like, yeah. anyway, okay. But that <laughs> might be a part two. That might be a part two. Yeah. All right, we good? Yeah, Scott, thank you so much for, for being with us yeah, this that afternoon. Was that was great. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I just enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. we hope we get to uh, talk with you talk with you again soon absolutely like to do that okay. well i don't live too far away so who knows <laughs> i say you're you're right in the area of deutero central yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> that right okay so customarily what we do if we have a guest on so usually what happens if if i lead he prays if he leads i pray but if we have a guest on the guest closes us in prayer excellent so happy to do that all right let's pray we thank you our god for the blessing of uh knowing about Jesus, for the Bible that uh, just has uh, been opened to us this afternoon and thinking about how it has affected mankind, especially in our country. And we're just, uh, we just are thankful for Jesus and for his willingness to not only die for us, but to uh, live again and to reign supreme on your, on his throne. And I pray, Father, that uh, you'll bless us as we continue to study your word. I'm thankful, Father, for the opportunity to uh, to, to be here with these guys. And I just pray that you'd be with uh, Byron and Justin and their, their families, but also in their ministry, and that uh, you would just help us all as we strive to uh, lead in the ways that we can uh, to draw people closer to, closer to Christ. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.